Morning. How's everybody? Pumped. Pumped. Holby calls me last night at 10 o'clock. And he, my favorite time to get a phone call, 10 o'clock. It was earlier this time. And uh, he, he, I'm, I'm ironing my shirt because that's what I do on Saturday nights is iron. And so he goes, he goes, who's pumped for tomorrow? And I, I was scared. Because <laughs> he FaceTimed me and in the FaceTime when he's when he's driving and he's FaceTiming me, it's dark, and you don't see anything until you hit a, a red light and the redness blinks. Anyway, he's pretty pumped for today. Um, it's interesting. I've been reading a lot lately and, and paying attention to a few things, and one of the things that I keep seeing is this. And hearing about is this, this thing where we're, we're confused about a calling in life. And see, a lot of times we get confused between a calling and a purpose and what our purpose is versus what our calling is. And, and we try to go back and try to figure out what our calling is in life. And so a lot of times we, we, get, we get bombarded with this thing that we need this special calling in life to be used by God. And yet there's something very interesting in all of this is that... Uh, we don't have to worry so much about what our calling is. What we have to focus in on is what our purpose is. And our purpose is to bring glory to God. And when we focus in on our purpose, which is bringing glory to God and glorifying our Father and, and coming to Him and praying to Him and, and, and coming and worshiping Him and, and coming to Him and acknowledge Him as our God and our Savior, and, and we go to that and that's our purpose in life is to cry out hallelujah to a Heavenly Father that loves us and that answers prayers and that, that meets us where we're at and that, that allows us to get unstuck and allows us to come out of where we're at and all this. And, and I just, a few months ago in our, an elder meeting, one of our elders said, hey, I want to start a time of prayer at 9 a.m. On, on Sunday mornings. And, and, I, and I said, that's, that's great. Let's do it. And I asked you guys if y'all had prayer requests and to, to submit them and to give them to us. And and so a lot of you responded and you, you, you gave us, uh, started giving us prayer requests and just kept it coming. And a lot of times you fill out one of these wonderful things called a response card. And on the back of it, it says a praise and a prayer. And, and so you wrote those out and you either handed them to one of the elders or you submitted it. And we've been <clears throat> praying over those as elders and praying over those as a, a prayer team. And, and one of the interesting things in all of this is, you know, a lot of times we throw out prayers, but a lot of times we never acknowledge when they're answered. Like we forget that God actually answers prayers. And, and just, we were challenged this morning, and you guys submitted over 30 prayer requests, and here's 10 answered. Amen. And that's the God we have. And see, some of you right now, you're like, what, 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 what do you mean? And, and you may be saying, well, what, what, which ones are answered? And here's what I want you to do. You ready? I know that these are answered prayers. You want to know why? Because we've been praying over them, and you share stories with me, or you share it with an elder, or you share it with somebody, and it gets to me. I know you all don't believe this, but the people <laughs> tell me stuff. And so what happens is, is when I hear an answer to prayer, I come in and I say, hey, this is answered. And so you Ready? relationships being restored right in here. People that were at odds and relationships being restored. You ready? New jobs that were found. Amen. Healing that's taken place. And I can go on and on, but you get where I'm going with this. Here's what I want you to take out your prayer thing for me real quick. And if you don't have it, I stole yours. My wife, whose birthday is today. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> prayer requests. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one minute, and I'll time us. Take one minute. I want you to write one thing you're grateful for and that you can give praise to God for. Write it down. Ready? Go. Maybe a prayer that he answered. And don't make it complicated. Don't sit there and say, I'm looking for some great, amazing thing that happened. No. Ready? It could be as small as this. You want to know what my biggest praise is in life? Is when I turn on my car, it actually starts. 
and that it gets me to where I need to be. And I'm grateful and give praise for a car that runs. You get out of bed this morning and you breathe air. That's something to praise God about. Thank you, Dale. I lost track of time. Y'all have 10 seconds left. 10 seconds. Seven. All right, I gave you all 12 more seconds. Y'all ready? Here's what I want you to do at the end of the service. When I ask you to respond, here's what I want you to do with that praise. And if you don't have one, um, come talk to me, and I'll pray over you, and then I'll show you a praise in your life. Anyway, I'm just kidding. I I will pray over you. I'm not kidding about that part. Um, As you respond, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do an offering of praise to God. And so in the back are these offering bins. And I want you to take these praises, and I want you to respond in God and offer him a praise in there. Simple enough? We good? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for the fact that you are an amazing God and that you um, have given us one purpose, and that purpose is to glorify you and to bring praise to you and to bring concerns and all the other stuff that goes on in life, Lord. We can bring that to a God that answers prayers and to a God that meets us right where we're at. And so, Father, we praise you for being that in our lives. And so, Lord, as we open up your word and dive into it, Lord, and as we look at not only our purpose today, but kind of come to this specific specific thing, this calling that you have for Light Point Church, Lord, I pray, Father, that we would just soak that in and that we would start to walk that out in our lives. And so, Father, we love you and we praise you and we ask that you guide and direct us in all things. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys look right over there, we started our, our um, series off to called The Calling. And see, here's what I believe is that God has a specific calling for Light Point Church. And I know this because he gave that calling to a group of us that sat around. And since he gave that calling to us, we have been passionately and, and deliberately pursuing this calling. But what he did is he presented to us some values that helped drive that. And if you look over at this banner here, it's there, we start off with our core values that drive us, that help guide us. And we stand on God's word, his truth, and we trust his leading. And we, we go after developing Christ-like character. And then we love him deeply and love each other deeply. And if we do all those four things, I truly believe that he'll make us a unified church and bring us together in unity. And so those are the things that drive us as a church. The second week, we talked about our vision. And our vision's down here at the bottom. It says to be a unified church, right? Right after we stand on our values and allow our values to drive us, we come to this point of being a unified church that shines the light of Jesus into a dark and hurting world. And that is our calling. That is what we are going after. That is what we are trying to do day in and day out. When we interact with people, how are we being a light? When we're meeting people where they're at, how are we being a light? When we do go and coach basketball games, how are we being a light? When we are interacting with our neighbors, how are we being a light? When we're interacting at school and with people that we surround ourselves with at work, the question is this, how are we being a light for Jesus? Because we live in a dark and hurting world and it needs a light of Jesus to shine brightly in it. And when we pursue this calling that he's given us, something different happens. And you want to know how I know something different happens is because you share the stories with me of what happens in your lives when you actually allow the light to shine brightly in your lives. And it's amazing to watch. Last week, we we talked about this calling, and I believe this is very interesting. I believe that God has called us to treat people a certain way. He has called us to treat people in a way that honors him. And in Galatians 6, 1, it says this, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, in other words, you who belong to Jesus, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And then you would jump down to verse 9 and feel free to go read 2 to, two to 8. And I'm not trying to leave that out, but feel free to do that on your own. But we jump down to 9 it says this. Let us not lose heart. Because here's what's happening a lot of times is this. Is how many times do we get caught at ready? What's today's date? 
February 17th. I better remember this is my wife's birthday. February 17th. And what do we do at the beginning of the year? A lot of us times we set these New Year's goals, resolutions, and by the middle of February, how many of us are still after those? One of you. Good. All right. So here's what it says. Ready? Let us not lose heart. In other words, let us not give up in this. Let us pursue this calling of treating each other the way that God has called us to treat each other. Let us not lose heart in doing good for in due time. In other words, if we do not give up in in a certain amount of time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. And a lot of times we want to give up. And we get tired on loving those people that are difficult. And we get tired of loving those people that test our patience and push our buttons. And we get exhausted in that. And a lot of times we get to this point where we are just weary and we don't know where to go. And the reason why, ready for this? The reason why we surround ourselves with other people who are pursuing the same calling. The reason why we do that is when I am tired, I can look to those around me who will pick me up, and I can look to those around me who will encourage me. The amazing thing in life is this. I thought this was interesting. I had a guy text me this week. He said, Chad, you got time on Friday morning. I'd love to get a coffee with you. And I said, sure, no big deal. Let's get coffee. And here I was going into this coffee on Friday morning thinking that he needed me to encourage him. And what an interesting thing, by the time that coffee, the interesting thing, by the time the coffee was over, I left more encouraged than he did. And so there's something that happens when we put ourselves in relationship with other believers who are pursuing the same calling. Are you in a group? Get in a group. Get in a group. Surround yourself with people that are going to walk with you and encourage you. And in and, and that, I heard from a life group leader this week. I thought this was interesting. Hey, I called him up and just said, I'll be completely transparent as my brother. I called him up. I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm good. I said, how's your life group going? He goes, actually, Chad, I'm really... I'm, I'm really pumped about my group. He goes, we're, we're, meeting when, we're meeting outside of group time and we're doing life together and we're getting to know one another and we're getting to actually uh, do life together. And he goes, and that's the exciting part. And he goes, and they're there to encourage me and I can encourage them. And there's this piece of this that's so important. We will not grow weary if we start putting ourselves around other people that are pursuing the same calling because when I am tired, someone will pick me up. And when they're tired, I can pick them up. And we continue not to grow weary. We will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, so then, if the fact is I will, not, I will reap if I do not grow weary. In other words, I will see something happen in life if I do not give up and if I do not grow weary. So then... While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And I want you to catch this. He says to all people, but what's that word right there? And to those who are of the household of the faith. Do you realize that there is a specific calling, a specific command that we are to treat each other better than we treat those outside? Sounds weird, doesn't it? And especially those who belong to the household of faith. Now, why would he write this? Keep the household strong. You ready? And John, does it not say, people will know who you belong to by the way you See, in God's world, it all flows from something. It all flows from him. And it flows through us as his children. And it flows out of us. So if we can't get it right, there's no way we can get it right out there. So we come back to this thing as a church. What is our calling and and how do we treat each other God's way? Last week, I did something very amazing for you people. And I had y'all get in groups and y'all were very upset with me and I heard things said to me afterwards that were very unkind. I'm just kidding. Um, um, John Meyer really, he, he yelled at me this week. I'm just kidding. Um, I, had, I had you guys write all this how we wanted to be treated, right? And we went through this and we talked about this idea how we treat one another and the idea that behind our, our goal is to build up, build each other up and not tear each other down. 
our, our specific role, and it's when it says especially the household of faith, this is where it comes down to because as a church body, we wrote, I did, and Corey did an amazing job. If I did, if I did everything, it would be uh, this right here. Anyway, but Corey did an amazing job of writing these things out of how we were going to treat one another and how we wanted to be treated. And so we said this, and no one came up to me afterwards and said, you know what, Chad, your list is junk. I don't, I don't believe it. I don't think that built. No one did that. And if you didn't know it, you had the opportunity to, but not anymore. All right, so we said this is how we want to treat each other. This is how we wanted to build each other up. And the second thing is, is we talked about this difficult thing called confrontation that a lot of times we don't like because actually we have no idea how to do healthy biblical confrontation because a lot of times we grow up in a world when we confront, that means that I have to go in and tear somebody down and I have to go and berate them and I have to do something mean to them in order to confront. And that's not how we confront at LifePoint Church. When we confront, we do it out of love. When we confront, we do it with 100% truth. When we confront, we do it with pre-forgiveness before we ever go into the room. Now we're already forgiving them of the offense so that our mind is right and our heart is right. And so that there's, it doesn't matter what happens in that room. What is going on in my heart is that I want to build them up and I will confront in that. And the second part of that is I will confront, I will not gossip. And gossip is what? Mark McConnell. He's over there writing fervently. Saying something about someone that you're not a part of or a resolution. That's good. I like that. Mark, clarify. There you go. That's you want to know what Mark shares with me? I get to get, have breakfast with Mark. Y'all want to know where I eat breakfast with Mark at? Precious. And so we, um, we meet, and he goes, Chad, I keep that saying on my dashboard in my car. And he pulls it out, and he says, I, I keep this on here. He goes, because I don't want to be a part of gossip. Gossip tears down. Gossip does not build up. And so what happens is, is, is we're going to confront. In other words, if I have an issue with somebody, I'm going to go straight to that person. I'm not going to tell five other people before I go to that person. I'm going to go straight to them. And if that doesn't work, I'll bring two other people who love each of us mutually. And I keep pointing to my wife, and I don't know why. I have no issue with my wife. I love her. But if I have an issue, you know what? In marriage, you ready? You want to fix your marriage? If you have an issue with your spouse, go talk to your spouse. Don't go talk to your girlfriends or boyfriends. If you have an issue with your spouse, go talk to her. Don't, don't, don't go to your buddies. Don't, no. Go with pre-forgiveness. Go with love. Watch what happens when you actually start treating your marriage like that. And then, and then we carry this on into our church family. We'll confront and not gossip. Here's the next thing. You ready? Here's the next thing. As we walk through this where we build up and not tear down, where we confront and not gossip, the next piece is this, is we have to learn to choose that our, or realize that our calling is forgiveness, not bitterness. Our calling is forgiveness, not bitterness. We are called to forgive, not grow bitter. If I do not practice forgiveness in my life, guess what will root up and take hold? Bitterness. Ready? Matthew 20, Matthew says this in, um, I didn't record the chapter. Anyway, Matthew in verses 21, what is it? Thank you. I knew it was there. I don't know what happened. 21 to 35, then Jesus said, or then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Oh, I love how Peter asks these great questions. But let's be honest, how many times do we do this? You, you, but you don't get it, Chad. You don't realize how many times they've said something mean to me. But, but, but you don't get it. You don't realize the years of verbal abuse I've taken from them. You don't realize the neglect I've experienced from them for years and years, and yet I'm supposed to forgive them? I get to meet with people all week long. 
in a little room, and I hear this over and over again. You don't get, Chad, how long he's been treating me this way. You don't get how long he's been not withholding affection from me. And I can see this bitterness growing in this bitterness piece. And they start pointing to everything wrong the other one's done. And they start saying that, and, they, and this bitterness is right there in their hearts. And they, they sit there, and, I, and, I, and you get to meet with, you sit in, a, in amongst a family session, and you see this once going back and forth amongst siblings and, and family and all this stuff. And, and they all want to point to every wrong thing that everyone else has done. And they don't want to look at their own selves. And the, the, here's the thing they don't want to do, is they, say, they think it's hard to forgive. And what I'm realizing is this, is most people have no idea how to forgive, much less what it means to forgive. And yet Peter, or Jesus lays it out for us here. He says this, then, then he goes, how many times? Up to seven times? Oh, he's being gracious, right? Someone ticks me off seven times? I forgive you, we're good, right? Jesus always has something else for us. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Who's good in math? How many times is that? Thank you, Quinn. 490. Has anybody got their little booklet out that they keep in their pocket or in their back that says, that says that's five today? <laughs> and it's not even 1047. You ready? You've been treating me a hundred times. You mistreated me a hundred times wrong this week. I've counted. You want to see it? Anybody do that? Do you know why he threw out this number? It's because who in their right mind, and maybe there are people. I would not put it past them. Because we're capable of these amazing things. To sit there and count. 490 and a 491. See ya. I followed what Jesus said. Now, if someone comes up to me and shows me their list, I've got time tomorrow between 12 and 1 to talk to you. I'm just kidding. Um, here we go. I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven will be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had in repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Do you see the heart of this, this guy who owed a debt? If, if there was something going on in his heart that was bitterness or something that wasn't right, his response would not be, forgive me. His response would be, forgive me and I don't want to repay you. But his response was this, I've messed up, allow me time to repay you. Allow me time to make it up. And in that, this, this slave was realizing the fact that he had messed up, that he had done something wrong, that he had put himself in a position that he owed more than what he could at that particular time. And the king's sovereign grace, this is what he does. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released and forgave him the debt. I want you to get this. Jesus is comparing this incident to what his father is like. He's saying this is what our God is like. This is how the kingdom of our father works. Our father is compassionate. And he released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he, and he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. It's interesting how quickly our hearts can flip once we see, receive our own forgiveness. It's quickly how quick, it's, it's interesting how quick our hearts can change towards people who owe us something. 
Have you ever noticed this? A lot of times we get so bent on how good we are and all the great things we do that we fail to see and look in the mirror and see how much we have fallen and how much we've done wrong. And we're willing to do this. We're willing to point to everybody else's shortcomings, yet look in the mirror and say, you know what? I've got enough shortcomings of my own to deal with. I can, I can stop looking at them. This guy, he leaves after being forgiven, and his heart changes, not from one of thank you and, and one of, of gratitude of being forgiveness, but his heart changes from one of begging for forgiveness and begging for time to one that is all of a sudden he changes, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. The same thing that the slave told the king, this guy told to this slave, and, and he comes to it. But he, he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to the Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the tortures until he should repay all that was owed him. I want you to pay attention to this verse. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Forgiveness is a hard thing. And see, we don't like to talk about the consequences of not forgiving. We like the idea of being forgiven. But the truth of the matter is, you know how Jesus does something different and he says he likes to change things in a different way to say, yeah, you know what, murder is not only taking someone's life, but it's actually thinking about it. Or adultery is not just having an affair with somebody, but it's actually thinking about that. And he takes it to this next level. Do you realize that Jesus just took forgiveness to the next level? And he, and he says this, listen, if you cannot learn to forgive, I can tell you who you cannot belong to. If you want to hold on to bitterness, my father has nothing to do with bitterness. If you want to go about not forgiving people who have wronged you, guess what my father's response to you will be? This is hard to get. But I want us to understand that this forgiveness piece has nothing to do with the person that offended us. Has nothing to do with the person that has wronged us, but has everything to do with my own heart and my own relationship with Jesus. And so we need to learn to forgive. We need to learn to forgive. And here's what it looks like. You ready? There's somebody that, that, that has wronged you or that has treated you poorly or has done something that has wounded you deeply. And here's what happens. They may or may not come to you and ask, say they messed up or did something wrong. They may approach you. They may confess. They may ask for forgiveness. They may or may not. Doesn't matter. See, forgiveness is not about them asking for forgiveness. Forgiveness is about you already offering forgiveness ever before it's needed. And so here's what happens. Somebody comes up to you, and, and I'll use one of my life examples. Uh, when I came clean to Julie about my issues. I go to Julie and I came clean about my issues and, and she had to forgive me. I didn't have to. She chose, excuse me, because forgiveness is a choice. She chose to forgive me. But for about six months, things kept popping up in Julie's head that I would do something stupid. And I'll tell you one of her things that kind of triggers things is me being late for stuff. Me being late for things uh, signals to her that she's not important to me. And so guess what I really try to do, and I'm not that great at it, I'm work, work in progress, is I try to show up on time. Anyway, but anytime something would happen, that thing would shoot up. 
And that reminder of how I wronged her would shoot up. And you know what Julie would have to do? She'd have to forgive me again. And a reminder would come about. Something, something would happen and it would be on the anniversary date or it would be on a something, an action that would take place. And all of a sudden a reminder of how I wronged her would shoot up in her head. And you know what she'd have to do? Is she'd have to say, I forgive you. Didn't have to. Excuse me. She had the choice to. And see, so many times we get caught up in saying, I can forgive once and I'm good. But the reality of it is, is this is what happens. Satan plays a, a trick on our minds and he keeps implanting something, a reminder, a memory of, of that hurt or that action. And he keeps putting that in our brain. And we can choose to focus on how we were wounded or we can choose to focus on our God who has forgiven us and we can choose to forgive. And here's what's amazing in all of this. You ready? When you finally put yourself up against Jesus, our Savior, and you say he is, the, he is the measure, he is the one, the righteousness, the measuring stick to which I stand. And if I do not reach Jesus, then I will fall short. And the truth of the matter is, is we all fall short. And when I put myself up against the righteousness of Jesus, I will always fall short. Therefore, I will always remember how much I am forgiven and therefore, I forgive. But the problem in forgiveness is this, is so many times we become the righteousness and the stick which we measure people against and people that don't reach us, we can't forgive. Put yourself up against Jesus. Realize how much you've been forgiven. And then it makes it a lot easier to forgive those around you. So he goes on. Hebrews 12, 15 says, it says this, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Do y'all realize that bitterness has a ripple effect? If you allow bitterness to, to, to grow in your heart as a dad in your home, or as a leader in your home, or as a mom in your home, Bitterness towards somebody, do you know that it has a ripple effect? Because what happens is if you're bitter it, between you and your spouse or between you and your kids, guess who notices that? Those around you. And it ripples. Guess what happens is as a church we allow bitterness to happen within our hearts because we don't want to walk out the way we do things. People start noticing how we treat one another. And they, and they can tell. I, mean, I know some people aren't good at reading people, but there are some amazing people that can read people and that have this intuition about when things are wrong. And so this bitterness piece is so huge. And in Hebrews, he points right to it. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Bitterness has a ripple effect. So we are called to forgiveness not bitterness. In Matthew 5, 21 to 24, it says this, You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to, to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. In other words, the way you treat one another, the, how we're guilty of how we label people and how we talk about people. He's pointing right at it. And he says this, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come present your offering. Jesus doesn't even want our offering if our hearts aren't right with people around us. If there is conflict between us and somebody else, he doesn't want what we have or what we're trying to give to him. So much so that he says this, leave it there before you even offer it. Just leave it there. Then go and get right. Then come back and offer it. So what does that look like? 
What does it look like to apologize? What does it look like to go and make things right? If you have a pen, if you have something on you, I need you to, to take notes right now. And I know um, you're about to see the wonderfulness of my handwriting. Um, but I, I'm about to change your life. A lot of times I sit with people, and, they, and here's what, ready? A lot of times people who apologize, they think it's a way to defend their, their actions, right? They think it's a way to come about to say, you know what, yeah, I messed up, but they need to understand why I messed up. They need to understand why I treated them that way. They need to understand this, and you know what? If someone's been wrong, they don't need understanding on why you did anything. They don't. That does not do anything. It's interesting. There, People, when we try to defend our actions and why we do stuff, what we are doing between those that we love or those that we offended is every time we try to defend something we did, we put a brick between us and them. And we stack this wall up. And every time we defend, because you know what the person who offended, we offend every time we try to defend why we offended them, do you know what they hear? He could care less about how he wronged me. She could care less about making things right. That's all they're hearing. Once, they, once the defense thing comes up and we start defending why we did something stupid, that person we're asking for forgiveness is not even hearing us. And so here's what we do. Ready? I, first thing I do is I admit it. Ready? With my kids, I lose my temper sometimes with them. I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> I go to Noel, and I'll lay there in, in, in bed, and we'll be sitting there and talking, and, and I'll say, you know what? Daddy yelled at you. Daddy treated you poorly right here. Daddy overreacted to something. And I admit I did something. Ready? So I admit what I did. Second thing is this. I was wrong to yell at you. You know what I don't do? Noel, if you would have just listened to me, I wouldn't have to yell at you. Listen, there's nothing wrong with me disciplining my child. There's nothing wrong with me correcting my child. It's the manner in which I do it. I'm not asking her for forgiveness for disciplining her and for, for, uh, for guiding her in the right way. What I do do is I ask for forgiveness when I do it in the wrong manner. I was wrong for biting your head off. Ready? Can y'all read that? Corey, you're not up here writing. This looks horrible. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> I am sorry. Or I apologize. Anywhere in here, do you see any way that I am being, uh, I am defending my actions? Or my response, or what I did. I am sorry. Ready? Fourth one. Will you forgive me? Or the other part of that is when you can. Will you forgive me? Sometimes the person that we go and ask for forgiveness from is not ready. They're not ready. And so after we ask for forgiveness and after we say, will you forgive me? 
We give them a thing that says, or when you're ready, will you forgive me? Because they may need time to work through some things. They may need time to process through what's going on. And so we ask, will you forgive us? Or when you can, will you forgive me? Ready? Here's the, here's the hardest part in all of this. No, the second hardest part. <clears throat> will you hold me accountable? It's interesting. I've given my kids permission to hold me accountable when I yell at them. And my, 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 my daughter is doing a lot better job at this. You want to know who really gets it well? It's Chad Jr. And he looks right at me and says, why are you yelling at me, Daddy? And every bit of me wants to say, if you would freaking listen to the words coming out of my mouth, I wouldn't have to yell. No. Will you hold me accountable? Now, let me be very clear on this. If there's an addictive behavior that's going on in your relationship, and it could be something uh, between a husband and a wife, and there's some type of behavior there... It's not their responsibility to hold you accountable. You're just simply giving them permission to. And they may very well say to you, I don't want that responsibility of being your accountability partner. But that's not the piece we're looking for. We're just offering the opportunity that if they see a behavior in us, that they can hold me accountable to it. Make sense? Okay. Last one. Is there anything else? Is there anything else? What you're doing by this last question is you're basically opening it up to saying, is there any other way that I have offended you that I'm not aware of? Because when I go back and offer my offering to the Lord, I want to make sure we're on a, there's a clean slate. I want to make sure that there's nothing else between us. Admit what you did. Say you're wrong. Say you're sorry. Ask for forgiveness. Give permission for accountability. And then open the door to say, is there anything else? Do not ask that last question if you're not prepared for the answer. What happens a lot of times as we walk through this, you know those bricks we put between each other? As these bricks just start to fall. They start one by one taking down and all of a sudden this trust piece comes in, this forgiveness of what really happens starts, happen, starts taking place. And it's amazing what happens when we walk this out. See, God has called us to restore, not ignore. If I'm about restoring my relationships with people, then I'm going to walk through this with those that I've offended, that I know about. I'm not talking about the people that aren't willing to actually tell you that you've offended them. Notice what Scripture said. If you know that you've offended somebody, then you do this. If you know you've wronged somebody and, they've, and you know it, right? Go to them and walk this out. If somebody has offended you, don't go tell five people that they've, someone's offended you. Go straight to them. And let's walk this out as a church and see what happens. Guys, we walk this out as a church and our leadership team. We walk this out as a church. And, 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 and it's amazing to see what takes place when we actually walk this piece out. True forgiveness starts happening. You know what stays out of our lives is bitterness. Julie and I walked this out in our home, and you know what, we, what we, we try to keep from happening in our home? Is that bitterness piece. And it's amazing to see what happens when we start living out what God has called us to. When we start restoring and being about called to restore and not ignore things. Because we live in a world right now where, you know what? 
Let's just ignore everything that's going on and let's just, we have our right to be offended about everything and we can ignore those pieces and we can just sweep things under the rug and hide it and do all these other things when God's not called us to ignore stuff. He's called us to bring restoration and reconciliation to things and he's given us a way to do it. Says James 5, 19 to 20 says this, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Guys, the way we treat one another, the way we build each other up, the way we confront, the way we, the way we forgive, the way we restore, all these things is about bringing people back to the Lord. At Light Point Church, we have this covenant. And I've walked you through most of it. At Light Point Church, we have this covenant that a lot of us have signed that we, I put this out last year. And we signed this piece, and I had an opportunity to sign it. And what I want you to do is I'm going to read through this real quick. And I know we're running on time. Please forgive me. As I read this off, I want you to just make sure that we've covered everything on there. And if I haven't, please let me know. It says, being all in or being, uh, being at Light Point Church, we establish this social covenant. And that, that, and that when we are together, we will do this. We will treat each other with respect, honesty, encouragement, kindness, forgive, friendship, forgiveness, dignity, patience, mercy, trust, empathy, tact, love, value, grace, truth, integrity, and confidentiality. And we'll listen and not gossip. In addition, we will be non-judgmental. We will account- be accountable, flexible, courteous, committed, productive, ethical, open, slow to anger, supportive, transparent, clear, and truthful. If we talk to another individual who's not part of the problem or the solution about something concerning a third party, we have 48 hours To bring that conversation to the attention of the third party. Here's how that works. If one of you has an issue with me as as the pastor or whatever, I'm just giving you an example. If one of you has an issue with me as a pastor, something I've said, done, whatever it is, and you go to one of my or go to one of the elders, if you go to one of go to my wife, if you go to anybody but me, the response is this. If you go to your life group leaders, their response is this. I hear you, and I, you have 48 hours to go Chad, tell Chad what, what the issue is. And within 48 hours, I'm going to check up with you, and I'm going to check up with Chad to make sure the, the problem happened. Guys, gossip will tear a church apart. It will tear a church apart. And so we're hitting it right in the nose. And it's the hardest thing to do, and it's the hardest conversations to have. But aren't they the most productive, Jacqueline? Guys, we live this out as a staff. And when we have issues, we talk to one another. And this is what we do. The effectiveness of this social covenant rests on the extent to which everyone works toward its desired end. All individuals must be willing to be held accountable for themselves Individuals must be willing to hold each other accountable as well. Assuming that we agree on how to treat each other, what should we do if one of us does not follow the behavior we agreed upon? Number one, assess the situation and go to the person one-on-one. The steps to take when we go to, the, to someone are the following. Go in love and kindness. I care more about you than what you think of me. Go in humility. I could be wrong. With pre-forgiveness worked out internally before the meeting. And then with 100% truth, just the facts on that situation. We agree to, to go to the other person with good intentions and desire to understand them. If that doesn't work, the next step, if the situation is not resolved, then we will bring in two or three others who will be a witness to the words that are spoken. After that, if that doesn't work, if the solution is not resolved, we mutually agree to bring to the team whether it be the elders or another part of the leadership team, a group. If no resolution takes place, then we agree to some sort of separation. 
It is our intent that every issue will be resolved by step one and no further action will be needed. We recognize that we are imperfect. If we fail to live up to the agreement, we will take the initiative to apply the six-step apology. Acknowledge what we did by stating the offense, I did it. Admit that we are wrong, I was wrong. Say that we are sorry, I am sorry. Ask, will you forgive me or if you, when you can, will you forgive me and wait for an answer. Ask the person or group, will you hold me accountable? I give you permission to hold me accountable from now on. And the last one is, is there anything else? It says, by signing this covenant, we are committing to abide by and be held accountable to the behaviors that we as a team believe demonstrate the type of culture and environment that will foster the best personal and spiritual development and success. Last year, we, we did this, and I just asked people to come up and sign it. And, you had, and people had an opportunity to come up and sign it and say, you know what? I want to be a part of this church, and I, want, I know that we're called to treat people differently, and I want to live out that calling. And so as we respond and, and as the team comes up and plays, if you feel the need, if you haven't done it yet and you haven't been a part of it, and you may be new to Light Point Church, feel free to come up. My pen's right here and sign this in response to what God is doing. And if you don't feel comfortable, don't worry. Next week at, at the open house at our house, I'll have this open. Uh, at the house and you can come up and sign it if you need to see it or whatever just let me know it'll be at our house or some other time you just say Chad I'd like to read over it more that's fine Um, but this will be here guys I want to be a church that does something different I want to be a church that treats people differently and we need guides we need things to help us do that and we stand on this covenant and this is what guides us to do that very thing Let me pray. Father, we love you and thank you. Thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. Thank you for loving us and your calling on our lives, Lord. I just pray, Father, in this time that we would respond in the way that you've called us to. We love you and praise you. Amen. In Jesus' name, thank you, Joyce. Um, A couple ways to respond. This will be up here for you to sign. Communion table is open. If you need to respond and take communion, feel free. Uh, Joyce and Phil will be over here to pray for you. Um, Your offering. Time to give back. Offer up a praise. Offer up a prayer request. Offer up uh, a portion of what God has given to you. And then respond how God leads you. Let's stand and sing.